Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where technology meets caffeine, and together they create the perfect storm of mental amplification. So let's turn it up to 11. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you profitably scale from seven figures, which is really good, to eight and nine figures, which is amazingly great. We use proven processes to create premium valuation, capital-efficient growth, and freedom so that you build a business that you're proud of and create a life of impact that you love. You know, the three things I obsess about, SaaS growth would have to be number one, great tacos be number two, and fantastic coffee. I'm all about a good cup of joe. I mean, so much so that I travel with an AeroPress, but only because my Chemex just doesn't pack well. But I think it's safe to say that coffee is really in the lifeblood of the tech industry. I mean, without coffee, I think our developers would be less productive, designers would be less creative, and our support team, well, I mean, let's be honest, it might still be asleep. But that's beside the point. I mean, the real magic happens when coffee and tech join forces, like a beautifully brewed binary of deliciousness. I mean, coffee and water are just like zeros and ones. Have you ever noticed that coffee and technology actually do have a lot in common? They both keep us awake at night. They both make us anxious, uh, particularly for SaaS founders. I think technology definitely keeps us up. And they both have a language that only a select few understand. You know, like AeroPress, Chemex, Pour Over, Venti, Flat White. Seriously, have you ever tried to order a simple cup of coffee at a fancy coffee shop? I mean, some places make it really difficult. And uh, it's like trying to decipher the matrix. I was in a, another country a little while back, and I went to a, a highly recommended coffee shop. I, I love local coffees and, and things like that, local roasters, small places, not the, the big green place that's a mediocre coffee at best. Uh, but it went to this little place, and they had a little fish bowl on the counter. and had some cash in it, and there's a little handwritten sign on the front. And it said, essentially, that there was a dollar fee if you said espresso, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, and, you know, if coffee isn't your thing, the word is actually espresso with an S. There's no X in it. But it's one of those things that's mispronounced all the time. And they just they just weren't having that. So it was a dollar fine if you said espresso. So I thought that was really, really funny. Just that little little coffee nerdery, coffee, coffee snobbery, maybe. But, uh, you yeah, know, think about mental sharpness. I mean, some say coffee improves focus and memory. And, and I think that is definitely true for me. It certainly improves my mood. But it's great news for all the techies out there because without that morning cup of joe, remember, you know, all those functions, you know, might be impossible to remember. So all that stuff, you know, the coffee just helps uh, improve that focus and memory. And so you can code better, faster, and have greater ideas. And of course, can't forget the countless times that we've spilled coffee on our keyboards, uh, only to discover that somehow it made them work even better. You know, I, I don't think you can be a real SaaS founder until you have baptized a keyboard with coffee. So drop me a note if you've done that. But, hey, as we kick off today's episode, remember, raise your cups and salute the mighty bean that fuels our minds and machines. We have time. We might even discuss the revolutionary invention of an AI-powered coffee maker. It's designed to brew the perfect cup, and the predictive algorithm knows exactly when you'll want it. 
as soon as it finishes updating its firmware. So it's still, it's still in development there. Today's episode is sponsored by the book, Small Fish, Big Pond, Building a World-Class Business that Swims Circles Around Competitors. Why do some SaaS companies achieve explosive growth while others sink into the depths? And why do some solutions inspire fierce brand loyalty when others are just interchangeable? And what can we as SaaS leaders learn from fish? Small Fish Big Pond delivers powerful marketing and leadership lessons guaranteed to enhance your marketing message, wrap value around your clients, and guide their buying journey to conclude that your company is the only solution for them. It includes step-by-step frameworks and time-tested growth tools to attract ideal clients, convert them, and then transform them into brand ambassadors. Pick up the print, ebook, or audio today, smallfishbigpond.com or Amazon, or your favorite book source, wherever that may be. Our founder on Tuesday was Alexander Lin, founder and CEO of ShipShape, a company that uses AI to put dollars back in homeowners' pockets and keep homes safe and efficient. It's an exceptional use of AI. And if you heard the episode, you know something I should have been using before the, uh, we'll just say the water heater incident a few weeks ago. Yeah, I love ShipShape's commitment to give back with their 222 program as well. It's very cool. Our expert guest last Thursday on our one-year anniversary show was Jeremy Redman, founder and CEO of TaskMagic, automation software for small business. Jeremy's built several SaaS companies using low-code, no-code. If you missed either of those episodes, go back and give them a listen. My guest this week is Park Howell, the world's most industrious storyteller. Park has grown purpose-driven brands by as much as 600% through story. He's a 35-year veteran of the advertising industry and now helps business leaders excel through the stories they tell. He's the host of the popular weekly Business of Story podcast and author of Brand Bewitchery, which reveals his proven story cycle system to craft spellbinding stories for your brand. So grab some coffee and gather around the campfire for a captivating story that will change your business. From the man himself, Park Howell. Well, hey, Park, welcome to SAS Fuel. Uh, thanks for having me, Jeff. It's an honor to be here with you. Well, tell me about the business of story. How important is story to businesses? Well, you think about storytelling and how we all, when we leave our business or organization at night, go home, someone says, how was your day? And Jeff, what do you do? You share stories with them about of your course. day, right? The craziest thing that happened. Yeah, right? I mean, so it, 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 it's hugely important because that's how we almost say, we storytelling monkeys connect and communicate, right? And build trust and understand what tomorrow holds and so forth. So it's incredibly important in business because what we are always trying to do in business is get people to buy into something. To either buy into a product, buy into a service, buy into a SaaS platform, our colleagues to buy into our vision, buy into our mission, our vendors to buy into what we are about so we can get the service out of them that we really need to have. So story to me is the single most important yet underutilized tool in growing your business, growing your startup, growing your SaaS platform. That makes a lot of sense. What kinds of things should be in a good story or maybe some things that we should leave out? Well, that's always the trickiest question. And so often people say, well, Park, I'm already a pretty good storyteller. I say, all right, share your story with me. And they will go on and it'll be and, 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 
and they never get out of exposition. They never get out of Act One. And you're like, "Where's this going? <laughs> Where is, is there an end to this story?" So what you need is there an end to this story? So is there in your story, in your communication? Let's just call it a communication for a moment. Is there a problem that you're solving? And that's the power of every great story. There's always conflict or contradiction that you are solving for. Otherwise, you're irrelevant. You're just taking up, you know, air at that point. So the most powerful thing, and, you know, uh, uh, oh, what's his name? A famous American writer, Kurt Vonnegut, said, you know, the most universal story is man gets in a hole, man gets out doesn't have to be about a man and it doesn't have to be about a hole but people love that story now that story here today to talk about your business yeah i like that that's the the story arc and you see that in a lot of great stories whether it's a movie or a book i mean that's that's what it is well yeah i mean no conflict no story right i mean think about it once upon a time there was a marvelous kingdom and and it had a beautiful princess and up rode a handsome young prince on a great white stallion, and they got married, and they lived happily ever after. Not a great story. So what? <laughs> Nobody cared. Bad. Until the abduction. Oh, there we go. Now I get interesting. What abduction? Who got abducted? What happened? What's the outcome of that abduction? What was the motivation for that abduction? I mean, all of a sudden, now we've triggered that limbic brain, into saying, gosh, you've opened a story loop for me. You've invited me in. You've thrown me a plot twist. How does it end? And when you think about it, isn't that the foundation for selling anything? Absolutely. So how would we use that in business? Is there like, can you give us a framework or an example of how, how would we use that to, to sell or to open that story loop with our ideal client? Well, I know one of the things we'll be talking about today is the end, but therefore what we call the ABT Agile Narrative Framework, and it's really the foundation for all powerful and influential business storytelling, communications, whatever you want to call it. And it is a setup problem resolution dynamic, and but therefore. And is the statement of agreement that you get your audience agreeing with. The but is the whole that Vonnegut spoke about, you know, the problem you are going to be solving for. And then the therefore is how you overcome that. So I'll give you an example. About six months ago, I was doing a virtual training with a bunch of uh, Home Depot sales and marketing people, some internal folks, and they were trying to work on their storytelling for leadership, how they can do a better job of com connecting their initiatives with their leaders to get them to buy into and fund them and so forth. And one of the gentlemen on that call said, Park, what's the shortest ABT you know of? And I go, oh, that's easy. You communicate and care, but bore. Therefore, tell a story. Set up problem resolution. Now, that's not a story in and of itself, but it uses the three forces of story. The and is a statement of agreement. That's force number one, agreement. You're setting the stage so that everybody in the room understands what a brighter future looks like for tomorrow, what it is that we all want together. But... Now, that's the statement of contradiction, but you don't have it because of this problem. Yeah, you're right. That is a problem. Therefore, is a statement of consequence. Therefore, here's what a brighter tomorrow looks like if we could just do this to buy into. 
So you have the three forces, the story of agreement, contradiction, and consequence. And the, the reason why our brain loves that is our subconscious, primal, limbic brain is a pattern-seeking, cause-and-effect, decision-making apparatus in our heads. And you, what you're trying to do is to connect with that as quickly as possible and then spoon-feed the problem-solution dynamic that you are trying to get your audience to understand and buy into, because you, of course, have the solution. Yeah, if you constructed it right, you should be that solution, right? And that's the, the problem that you solve. Oh, without a doubt. And Yeah, yeah. Is and it, when you write these, you always want to start in your mind as what's the problem you're solving for. Get that problem down your butt statement and then write your and statement or agreement above it to set it up and build contrast between what the world could look like, but why it doesn't look like that right now. Therefore, how are you going to help them get? I think that's really helpful is just having that continuity between the and and the but so that those things are connected. It's not two disjointed thoughts, but there's a connection between those. You know, here's, you know, here's what it could look like. Here's where you are. Yeah. And you want to build as much contrast in that connection as possible because the more contrast you have in that, the limbic brain is saying, okay, well, what's the solution? You've opened the story loop. Now, right. what is the solution? You want to close it with your call to action. And it needs to be interesting enough, I think, that it engages the brain that they want to know the solution, that it's a problem that they actually care yeah. about. Absolutely. I can give you an example of this um, that maybe your, your viewers and listeners will appreciate you know, much more. Um, and it was when I was doing some work with Sharp Electronics. And what I'll often do, Jeff, is go to their website, randomly pull up one of their landing pages, read it to them as it is currently written, and then show them how it feels and how much more different and more powerful it is when you take that content and you reform it using the three forces of story found in the end, but therefore. So one of their landing pages was this page, Document Systems, and it goes on, you know, it says, four years, the sharp document products and solutions have been earning high praise and prestigious awards from leading MFP testing organizations. For Sharp, this represents more than just an accumulation of accolades that means a trusted blah, 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 blah. Nobody cares. doing it is just pounding placing the brand at the center of the story. And it really is just, you just it doesn't land. It's non-narrative. It's and, 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 aren't we wonderful? But listen and feel how different it is when you take this same content, organize it as an end, but therefore it's shorter, but it's also written from the audience, the prospect perspective. What is it that they want? Why is it important to? So I rewrote it and said, Shorter runs, quicker turnaround times, complete control over your in-house printing. It's what you want. But your productivity is currently stuck on pause. Therefore, Sharp Digital MFPs and copier printers will have you printing like a pro with our industry-leading innovation, unsurpassed security, and boundless expandability. Now, you can feel the difference. It's written from their perspective, the audience's perspective. Right. And it's not talking about what Sharp makes, but what Sharp makes happen. Now, here's the punchline to that. This was a virtual session that I did on a Thursday. That Friday morning, the next day, one of their national account reps literally just lifted my ABT, put it into a sales presentation, went back into a major account that he had been trying to close for six months, couldn't get their attention. 
And he said within two hours, he had the deal signed. He goes, the only thing I did differently was use the ABT. And he said, you could perceptively see that room lean in as he set up his presentation for that. And then when he went to the sales presentation, he just delivered on the promise or the premise of the ABT, how to get you stuck, unstuck off of pause in your productivity. That's fantastic. With the, the therefore, is it always a positive or can it be a negative as well, like a consequence for for not doing that? So, you know, but this is where you are. Therefore, this terrible thing happened or is happening. No, uh, what you want to do is that statement of agreement up top, the end is always positive. It's, it's, we're share, have the shared vision of what a better, brighter tomorrow will look like. The negativity comes in that but section. But you don't have it because of this. And then you can pile on after that because. Because, and if we don't do something about it, then this is what is going to happen. Therefore, imagine if we were able to corral this and do this, if you just buy into my product service SaaS platform or whatever, here's how we're going to help you get there. So you want to make that, therefore, a happy end because that's what your call to action is. We just do this. We can achieve what we what we stated in our and statement of agreement. And, but, therefore, now, that's not a story in and of itself, but it uses those three forces of story to hook your audience in like under 15 seconds. You get them leading in. And then you can follow up with a little anecdotal story. We coach the five primal elements of a short story that you can share. And you can share this story in under a minute to make your business point for you to to support your ambit, therefore, premise. Here's the problem we're solving for. Here's how we can solve it. For instance, let me tell you about, and then you take people to a moment in time. And stamp, location stamp, where did this happen? Central character in that story that your audience can relate to. Not having two people, not having a team, not a group, not a division, not a brand, one person. And then what they went through and how they were able to solve their problem with your solution, basically. So it's a little case study, but it's told from your prospect's point of view. You as a brand always come in at the very, very end. You are their mentor or guide. That's where I see a lot of marketing fall down is that the company that's writing the marketing piece is the hero of the story. But that's not where they're, that's not their role. It's the, the, it's the end client. That's the hero of the story. And when we take that and, and turn it around, that's where it becomes really powerful. Absolutely. The two major paradigm shifts I see whenever I'm teaching the ABT, and this can be to like, you know, 30-year veterans of the sales and marketing world, and they're like, oh my God, I never thought of it that way. Number one, just as you said right there, Jeff, is you are not the center of your story. Your customer is. It's always about them from their point of view. And then the second major paradigm shift is your story is not about what you make, but what you make happen in their lives, the outcomes, because these people actually don't care about you. They don't care about your brand. They don't care about your product or service. They don't even care how you made it. What they want to know is what can you do for me with this? You'll have plenty of time downstream to talk about how you made it, the whistles and bells and whatever. But up top, that's not what they're interested. They're interested in outcomes. Place them at the center of your story and then share the outcomes they're going to get by working. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's really giving them that up front. And because the, I think the, the question coming in is, can you help me? Can you even solve my problem? And if you can't get past that and convince them 
you know, there there may be something more here, you know, for them to go deeper than you've lost already. Well, then there's something maybe even a little bit deeper than that that goes on very much of a building trust emotional level. And when we come in and just pound on our chest and share with them how, how great we are and you should just logically buy us, they're like, screw you, man, I'm out of here. <laughs> right. I have that APT in place them at the beginning so that you demonstrate that you understand them and appreciate what they want, why that's important to them, but can empathize with them, why they don't currently have it. When you are leading with that emotion, everything else becomes much easier because they're like, oh, you get me. You understand. You're actually kind of like me. All right. Tell me about what you have dealt with. And that's really right. what we're trying to do. Some of the heart and the head will follow. Oh, that's really, really smart. So how did you come up with the, the story idea? What, what's your background? How did you get into story? Oh, gosh, you know, judging by my hair color, I've been in the advertising, branding, marketing world 35 plus years. I ran my own ad agency in Phoenix, Arizona called Park & Co. for 20 of those years. And one of our specialties was about branding and brand development and so forth. And I really enjoyed the first 10 years running my agency, but then the second 10 years is when the interwebs really took over. E-commerce, social media, I mean, you name it, and this cacophony of communication that we were all bombarded with. And what I learned is our tr traditional approach to advertising marketing was no longer cutting, just wasn't working. And so I went for, um, I went to look for an answer. And we were fortunate, the universe kind of delivered it to me in that uh, we'd have three kids and our middle child, our son Parker, was going to film school at Chapman University in Orange, California between 2006, 2010. Graduated, spent 12 years in Hollywood, and now is out in, uh, in Austin, Texas. And he specializes in mixed reality and virtual reality filmmaking. Um, but while he was going to school, I said, Parker, send me your books, send your lectures since... I'm paying for them because I want to know what does Hollywood know about storytelling to help you become a competitive storyteller in the most competitive storytelling market in the world, L.A., Hollywood, right? Yeah. That's when I saw the hero's journey in Joseph Campbell, America's foremost mythologist. And I really studied his 12 to 17-step hero's journey or model myth, depending on who you read. And I thought, this is so powerful. It absolutely outlines what we do in branding and marketing and makes us understand our audience and what journey they're on so we know what stories to share with them to get them and invite them into our story. That's when I took it and I mapped it to business and I created the 10-step story cycle system, which was my first book called Brand Bewitchery, How to Wield the Story Cycle System to Craft Spellbinding stories for your brand. Well, Jeff, it was a bit of an exercise, a, an experiment for me at first, uh, until I used it on the very first client. And it was a, a community health center out here that was in grave condition, and they needed to revise their story. Otherwise, they were going to go out of business, and I was going to impact a lot of people in their healthcare, and they serve people regardless of their ability to pay. So I said, Abin, their CEO, would you be open to going through this new program with me? She said, absolutely. She loved it. I was surprised at how powerful it was. And Adelante Healthcare, after that, grew by 600% in 
And a bean will say and tell you it is precisely because they got their story straight and a story strategy that they could get everyone to buy into internally and, of course, externally. That was my first aha moment that, wow, this stuff really, really works. And then clients asked me to start teaching them how to do it. And then Arizona State University came and had me put together a storytelling curriculum for a master's program in their School of Sustainability. And I taught that as an adjunct for five years. And that led up to 2016 when I finally closed down my agency and just pivoted into consulting, teaching about the power of story internationally. And that's why I'm here today with you. That's great. Well, so what happens when uh, yeah, that story loop isn't closed with a business and we leave that open in the, the mind of our clients? Ah, uh, can I share with you a little parlor trick? And this will demonstrate the answer to that question. Have you ever heard of Ernest Hemingway's shortest story ever told? Yes. You ever yeah. heard about this? Yes. This is okay. the Lord goes, he was sitting in some Irish pub with a bunch of his buddies. He said, I bet I can make you cry in six words or less. He put $10 down per person if he could do that. So they all took the bet. Presumably he won the bet with the shortest story ever told. And he out of those six words. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. So why weren't those baby shoes ever worn? And we can come up with all sorts of things. But the, the mind tends to go to What's the, the first thing that pops to mind. Worst case scenario, the baby died. The baby died. And yeah. the vast majority of people, every time, in fact, I shared that with a virtual session I was doing with a tech company in Melbourne, Australia. And after the session, I got a nasty gram from one of the people. And then she said to me, that was such a great session. Why did you have to start it with the baby dying? And I'm like, I did it. You <laughs> arrived at that. Most people do is our negativity bias, closing yeah. that story loop. And Hemingway knew about that. And what he did is he invited you into a story for sale. Then he had a little bit more attention. Baby shoes never worn. But he never tells you why they weren't worn, which then makes your brain close that story loop because our limbic brain cannot stand inconclusive stories. It absolutely has to make something up if we don't close the story loop for them. So what happens in business, you show up and, oh, we're going to do this for you. It's going to be great. You have to but you need to do this, blah, blah, blah. And you never get to that call to action or you never bring it full circle. Well, your audience will close that story loop for you. And it will not be the story you intended unless you intentionally tell the story. The end but therefore is the perfect way to set it up with that statement of agreement. In fact, I'm deeper with, into the story with that causal but. Here's why you don't have it because of this. And then you close it. Therefore, here's what a brighter tomorrow is going to look like if we do this. You're going to bring them full circle that way. And by God, if you leave it open, if you lead with a bunch of data, charts, graphs, stats, features, functions, uh, that's all non-narrative BS, and your audience is dying for the context of the story. So it's going to make up a story, and it's not going to be the one you like. And that makes a lot of sense, because really, when you think about it, there are a lot of reasons you know, why those baby shoes could be never worn. Maybe they were too big. Maybe they're too small. Maybe they were the wrong color. Maybe the baby was so healthy 
the parents didn't realize how quickly it had grown and went and bought these baby shoes and gave them to them for their birthday. <laughs> and they were so small, they couldn't fit and they couldn't return the baby shoe. You know, right now, mostly you probably just say, oh my God, the baby died. I mean, even when I do it, I got to be careful when I do it. I got to read the room and make sure they're up for it. Because sometimes it really freaks people out. But people will gasp sometimes when I shot. Oh my God. <sighs> I go, why'd you gasp? Well, the baby died. Never said the baby died. They arrived at that, but that's a really good example of an open story loop that your audience closes for you. And that's really helpful, I think, in business because when we open those loops or we start to tell a story or, or it's incomplete, then you know the, the market will make up the ending. And and I think you're right. It's it's not the the story we want told. I mean, it's it you know maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but whatever that is, uh, or even you know stories on the news. Yeah, we, we may hear like a headline and then just assume, or you hear a little bit here or there, a piece of it, and we just jump to that conclusion. Absolutely. Think about it too, Jeff. Uh, whenever you get ghosted, we all get ghosted. You know, you, you text somebody, a good friend, a note or whatever, or a customer, you text them or you email them, or a prospect who said, hey, I'm looking for a proposal. You send it over and then it's just crickets, right? Right. What do you do? God, did I piss them off? Oh my God, they'll never work with me again. Oh my God, something happened here. And we, you know, we, we catastrophize this stuff in our mind because right. our brain is set up on this negativity bias purely out of a survival instinct. We're going to default to the worst case scenario because it brings us closure. And then we think about something else and move on when it's often so far from the truth of what's actually going on. Sure. And to think about that just in, in our own world, in that bias, yeah, I think that's a really good example. You know, sending that proposal and then crickets, nothing happens. And then uh, I've seen it happen before. You know, the, the next thing that goes over is apparently the price is too high. Here, here's something lower. And they didn't say that. They didn't say anything. They just, you know, nothing. So you're reacting to something. They're just too busy. They haven't gotten to it yet. Right. You know? <laughs> something else happened in their life. And has nothing to do with you, but we personalize it, we internalize it, uh, because we are dealing with an open story. The story begins, we accept them something, uh, but we don't hear back from them. There's the conflict. Therefore, what the hell? Uh, do I follow up? Oh, they don't like me. You know, I mean, you just can see where this goes. So right. you, as the storyteller, you want to control the narrative, and you have to do the heavy lifting up top really understand your audience because you're telling this story from their perspective, appreciating what it is they want and why that's important to them, and then empathizing with why they don't have it. You completely set up a really powerful story loop that way. Therefore, here's how I'm going to help you get it. And then you get your call there. I like it. So ABT, is it is it too simple? You know, is it something that that uh, that will work, or maybe people think, well, hey, I'm already doing this today. Well, they probably are doing it today. They just don't realize it, and that's what in all of my teaching, I want to move people from intuitive storytellers, which we all are as Homo sapiens storytelling monkeys. We are intuitive. We are the only beings that we know that organize, plan, and act in story, and so we are intuitive about it and. What happens is we tend to wing it. And when we wing it, we leave open story loops. I want people to be intentional about it using this framework so that they can win with it every single day. 
Um, and that's really where the power comes out of it. It's just knowing it. And so people will look at it. And I will hear that sometimes like, okay, Park, three words, got it, great. Well, I just challenge you to write one. Go out and write one. The, here, here's an ABT for the ABT. The ABT is short and sweet, but tricky. Therefore, practice. That up? I like Problem that. resolution. And so it is deceptively simple looking until you practice it. And then one, I tell people when I take them through my classes or there's an online course they can take. In fact, they're going to get a great bonus on that at the end of the show. I'll let you know what that is. Um, is that uh, they think it's short. They think they got it immediately. But the best place to practice an ABT is in your email writing because you have to write the damn things in. Right. And you and I say write three every day with an ABT. What they will find is it shortens their emails by about two-thirds. They get super focused on what the problem-solution dynamic it is that they're trying to get across to their reader, and it has a built-in call to action. So the first thing I say is practice it there. You're going to find it's more difficult than it looks. But if you do this over the course of four to six weeks, it's going to become second nature to you. And then number two, check out the ROI on people actually not ghosting you, responding to your emails because you're making it super easy for their pattern-seeking, cause-and-effect, limbic brain to understand what it is you're talking about and what it is you want them to do. They don't have to work for it at all, and that's the beautiful part of it. That's great. Where can people learn more about you and about ABT online? Well, we can go to businessofstory.com forward slash ABT, and you can learn a lot more about the ABT there, and there are a number of different little short online courses they can take about it, uh, or, or you take to learn about it. I also have a, a podcast, Business of Story, that I've been doing for seven and a half years. Every Monday, I have a new guest on, storytellers from around the world of business, leadership, sales, and marketing, and SaaS. Uh, they can go to Business of Story. Find us on any, you know, iTunes, any any place you listen to your shows. I talk about the ABT extensively there and bring in people that have used it extensively in their world. One of them, for instance, is Trimble, which is a SaaS company. Uh, I think they've been around since 1976. They are global and they work in the heavy construction industry, the SaaS platform. Right. Um, I trained their sales and marketing team on the ABT in March of this year. And then in April, they brought me in as a story coach. And what they did in five of the countries that they're in, they have this ongoing LinkedIn campaign. And we did an A-B test. The A was March when they weren't using the ABT. April was, I would take their content and simply reorder it in their short messages on LinkedIn using the ABT. And you know, Jeff, they got an ROI on engagement went up 400%. Why? Wow. The only thing they did differently was reordered their content using the ABT. So Kari Nelson, my contact there, is on the show. You can just search Kari Nelson Business of Story, and she talks about how they have used it with the SaaS platform and the importance of storytelling in it. And then we kind of dissect how it works for them. So that's really my main teaching tool is my own podcast or coming on great shows like yours. Fantastic. We'll make sure I link all of those in the show notes, along with uh, the five elements 
uh, along with the uh, the 10-step framework as well as the ABT. So lots and lots of great information. Awesome. I what I'd like to offer up to your viewers and listeners is a landing page for this particular show. Uh, go to businessofstory.com forward slash SAS dash fuel, S-A-A-S dash fuel. And there they can download a free copy of the Narrative Gem for Business, which I co-authored with Dr. Randy Olson, the gentleman who taught me about the ABT 10 years ago. He's a Harvard PhD evolutionary biologist and USC film grad. And he teaches this solely to the science and academic world. And I've translated it to the business world. So they can download their free copy of this and get 30% off of our uh, ABTs of Agile Communications quick online course. So they, they can take the course and start applying it immediately in their world. Outstanding. And we'll make sure and link that in the show notes as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Jeff, thanks for having me, man. This has been great. Thanks for being on the show, Park. Thanks again, Park, for coming on the show and sharing the power of story with us. You can learn more about Park at businessofstory.com. And be sure to check out his books, Brand Bewitchery and The Narrative Gem. And of course, his podcast also, which is called The Business of Story. As always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. Please subscribe and follow us while you're there as well. Everyone who subscribes this week gets the best cup of coffee on earth, or at least the best one that you can find or make. Hit me up if you're a coffee nerd like me and tell me your favorite brew. I'd love to hear that. Join us next time where our guest is Troy Barter, founder and CEO of salesorg.io, which helps SaaS companies do the thing that I am asked about the absolute most. And that is, how do I get more sales? And so salesorg.io, Troy Barter, they hire, train, coach, and make sales teams outperform. He's sharing his best stuff next week. And our expert next week is Vladimir Blagojevich co-founder of FullFunnel.io, and they are in the trenches of B2B sales and marketing, specifically for SaaS. So a big week for one of the hottest topics that we have, and that is sales and marketing for SaaS. A big week coming up next week, the two episodes, we have Troy and Vladimir. And so we'll see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.